Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, where two best friends tell each other stories about history, true crime, and other shenanigans. I'm Courtney. I'm Ashley. And guess who is back? Because <laughs> Ashley fucked up. <laughs> Sorry about that, by the way. We have Mike again. Hello. Woo. And I am slightly dying. Ashley is more dying. And Mike is not dying, so it works. I'm healthy. He's showing off, is he? Unlike Andrew Jackson's mom... <laughs> It's just not going to die out of spite. Meanwhile, the rest of us, the rest of us have the plague, apparently. You know what? At this point, I might as well have the plague. Yeah, why not? We'll just lump it all together. I literally, Thursday, told the pharmacist that I needed to because I feel like death. Did you she ride was out? Like, she was like, yeah, okay. I'm just going to go with you're going to ride out on a horse. Mm, horse. It's Saturn. Because death rides on a horse. No, no, I know what you're doing. I got it. I was like, I see where you're going with this, and I reject it. No, I feel, I feel a personal attack. I'm sorry, it's the pseudofed. So, wait, so this means two of us are doped up, and Mike is the only one not on drugs. <laughs> if I'm the most sober person in a room, you guys are probably at the wrong party. <laughs> we did determine a, a party theme after last episode. Mike and I were discussing Andrew Jackson's inauguration should be a party theme. More about which you'll hear later in this episode. That would, I mean, that's the party that you go to when you no longer want to live. Just like, you know what? I go out in a blaze of glory. Jackson's inauguration party. I think we were just going grad school reunion, which is pretty much the same thing at this point. I didn't go to grad school, so. It could be a similar <laughs> level of alcohol consu- uh, consumption involved. Yeah. We had our Germanist in our year, like to drink Long Island iced teas. That was his drink of choice. And he would- Who hurt him? No one. It's about volume. He's from Michigan. I don't know. Did Michigan hurt him? Patent? Yes. Yeah. Hey, listeners. We're a part of a really amazing indie pod campaign called Two Pods a Day. So if you want to find some new and interesting podcasts outside of your normal reach, I suggest you check it out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Seriously, I found probably about 10 new favorites from this campaign. So do you want to you want to continue in our lovely Andrew Jackson's life is a comic book adventure? <laughs> All right, kids. Buckle up. Okay, wait. Yep, hang on. Click. <laughs> oh, wait, do we do we want to do roller coaster? <laughs> and then someone has to come around and like check it. Remember how you're the sober one? This is what happens when you tell us to do things. I'm all I'm I'm all strapped into this poster. <laughs> I gotta get jacked up. I gotta get jacked up if I'm gonna tell the story. Just gotta get. F- <clears throat> all right. Are you jacked up for Jackson? Woo! New ti- title. There's the title. Jacked up for Jackson. I don't know if that one's gonna work for this episode because a lot of Native Americans are gonna die. Jacked up for Jackson could send the wrong vibe. Now I just want to go find the musical, uh, I think it's called Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. Yes. And it has the guy who played Abraham Lincoln in, I think, maybe Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter? 
Because that's why... Daniel Day-Lewis? No, not Daniel Daniel Day-Lewis. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's the same one. And it's a musical about Andrew Jackson. It's delightful. It's pretty good. It's all on YouTube. Of course it is. Where else would it be? It's a 2000s emo punk opera about Andrew Jackson. That is a thing. I did not know that I needed until you told me it. And now I, I have to go find that. Did you really miss this? It's pretty great. Well, no, like, she said something about the Andrew Jackson bloody bloody whatever, but I didn't realize it was an emo rock opera. They end up shooting the narrator halfway through the show. Monty Python? Kinda. Andrew <laughs> Jackson's sick of the narrator taking his thunder, so he kills him. It's pretty great. Yeah, that sounds about right for what you've told me so far. And it's dressed in spectacular emo rock outfits. So, like... Alright, since not tragedies, or are we talking My Chemical Romance? I'm just saying, like, if you're nostalgic for, like, 2008, you will enjoy- Frequently, yeah. You will enjoy the show. Oh, it looks like they rated a hot topic. So, like, a My Chemical Romance music video. It's not f- <laughs> far off. Yeah, it's like that plus, um, I write Sins and Not Tragedy, because it's a little circus Yes, that's what I was thinking of. I was, I literally- Ten seconds ago, future Courtney, go back and listen to how right I am right now. I literally said, is it I write since not tragedies, or is it my chemical romance? Why choose? Porque no los dos. <laughs> yes, I just quoted a taco oh commercial. God. It's dead. And I love it. <laughs> okay. Le jus sans fait. Okay, well, let's get, let's get down to business. <clears throat> You're really gonna throw out a Mulan reference and not expect us to sing for- I'm holding it back. Continue before I start singing. To defeat the Huns. <laughs> Get ready, kids, because the body count of Andrew Jackson is about to take a radical upward leap compared to our previous stories. Yay! I mean, there's really no proper response to that, so I'm just sitting here and drink my hot chocolate. So, Andrew Jackson has gone on from his dueling days as a lawyer in Nashville, Tennessee, to become a great general and fights in the War of 1812, where he successfully defends New Orleans, effectively ending the last great battle of that war and securing the American South against the British. He's a super big hero. Everybody loves Andrew Jackson. So now, it's the 18-teens, like 1816, 1817. Spain still owns Florida. I don't know if you guys were aware, but Spain owned Florida for a good long time. However, at this point, Spain is also involved in a whole bunch of revolutionary wars across the Caribbean, Central, and South America because the Central, South Americans, and Caribbeans are getting pretty tired of Spanish rule. I don't know why you kill and enslave people. It seems like it would be a good way to... Oh, and and uh, racial dividing. That got really, really specific. France had already had a similar problem, so I think it was just the Spanish's turn. But the result is that Spain was not super in control of Florida, and they were putting way more of their military and economic resources towards quelling these rebellions further south than they were in securing the state of Florida. The result is that Florida kind of became a haven for criminal Native Americans, Native American tribes that wanted to escape extradition by the United States, and escaped slaves, which the American South was super not cool with. Were they ever? (laughs) No. Florida, always been a problem. (laughs) Well, one of the badass things that happened is that because there were so few Spanish troops in Florida, a 
large group of escaped slaves actually took over a former Spanish fort, which eventually became known as the Negro Fort, and became a beacon for escaped slaves across the southeast of the uh, United States to run away across the border and uh, become this, like, embattled camp that slaves would try to run away to in florida they uh there were over 300 escaped slaves living there they had a whole tons of uh just like a ton of weapons and like 14 cannons and because the british were still pretty pissed at the u.s they were actually supplying the slaves with gunpowder and food rations to keep them afloat because they knew it would piss the u.s off the british are always just petty as fuck and at this time, I appreciate it. There's, like, a couple times in history you appreciate their levels of pettiness, and this is one. I just want to point out Florida's always been classy with a K. Because really, the Negro Fort? Really? That's I mean, that wasn't what with. they named it. That was what the Americans who were trying to get rid of it named it. No, that's what I mean. That's what the Americans went with. So there are a few things going on. One, you have the Negro Fort, which is just anathema to the slaveholding states of the South because it acts not only as a beacon to escaped slaves, but also as sort of like uh, it's throwing the ability to escape slavery in the face of the slave South, which scares them very much. Uh, but at the same time, you also have a large number of Native American tribes, uh, most notably the Seminoles, which are part of a larger called Creeks, who are... Uh, sort of living in and around Georgia and Florida, and they'll often commit crimes against the United States or commit murders or uh, steal things, or, or in general really just flee Americans for uh, very justified reasons across the border into Florida. And because Florida isn't part of the United States, the Americans could not pursue them into Florida. So it became a real problem. So Jackson's pissed. Uh, Just generally or specifically? I mean, it's hard to say. Who knows? I mean, he's pissed in general, but he's also pissed at this. So, there are now over 300 escaped slaves living in a fort with cannons supplied by the British in Florida, flaunting the fact that they are escaped slaves to all of the slaves that are living in the United States currently and want to escape. So, Jackson goes to the uh, diplomats in Washington and the government and says, basically, I want to go cross the Georgia, Florida, Florida, Bur Georgia, Florida, 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 sound like the Swedish chef over here, the Florida King of Durgan. Um, Jackson wants to attack across the Georgia, Florida border. So, the response that he gets from the administration, I believe it's uh, Madison early on, but later it's uh, President Monroe. They are known, both of them are known pretty well for being very diplomatic and not really wanting to make any international incidents or say anything, uh, you know, like, aggressive, because they're scared of starting another war. They just finished the War of 1812, you know, uh, our country is low on resources and... Uh, military personnel. So they say to Jackson, why don't you try diplomacy? That's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> to Andrew Jackson. Right. And then he punched him in the face. <laughs> yeah, right. Andrew Jackson, super excited about the idea of talking about his problem. He could be punching his problem. Don't punch your problems. Talk about your problems. Jackson is pissed. He doesn't want diplomacy. He wants explosions. 
But he goes and writes a letter to the Spanish governor of Florida saying, hey, you have all of these Native American tribes and escaped slaves. They are a menace to my country. Uh, If you don't cooperate with us, we could come to blows. Now, you have to keep in mind at this time that it's like it's an unspoken understanding that the government of the United States actually really kind of does want to invade Florida because we would benefit so much from invading Florida. Like, it would be so great. We would get this territory in the South. We would close off borders with foreign governments and secure a whole border uh, across the American South that would allow us to trade more easily. All of this great stuff. So we don't really want to start a fight, Andrew. Wink, wink, nod, nod. No, no, no. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Meanwhile, Andrew Jackson's like, right, don't do anything wrong. So he goes and writes to the Spanish governor, and the Spanish governor is like, oh, yeah, we totally want to, like, work together. We'll be great about this. We'll, you know, we'll really clean up our act and make sure that people don't bug you from Florida anymore. So the Spanish governor, um... People don't bother you from Florida. Single funniest thing we've said all night. So the Spanish governor is like, yeah, sure, we'll help. He does nothing. Um, so Jackson, uh, sends one of his personal generals, a guy named General Gaines, and says, basically, um, tell you what, you should go, quote, work under the power of your own discretion. Which is a really nice way of saying, go blow up some forts. Woo! <laughs> I mean, yes. Basically, like, we were told to try diplomacy, but I trust you to do the- Do some diplomacy. Right. Go do some diplomacy in foreign national land. Go diplomacy them so much. So, can we please make diplomacy a verb that just means do whatever the fuck you want? That's not what it already. If Andrew Jackson had a dictionary under the words diplomacy, there would just be a big old picture of an explosion. And then it would say, see, see ambassador. Just <laughs> picture Ron Swanson with, with his permit that says, I do what I want. Ron. <laughs> I thought it was just going to be fuck you. Diplomacy. No, in the explosion, he just has, like, fireworks that say, fuck you. <laughs> so Jackson's general, General Gaines, uh, illegally crosses the border into foreign territory owned by another government and decides to attack the Negro fort that is held by uh, escaped slaves. They're using something called hot shot out of their cannons, which is essentially uh, balls of shot that have been heated up to an incredible degree. Uh, So they're burning, scalding hot balls of lead and iron. And so they shoot these into the fort. On their first rounds of shot, these burning hot balls of metal, these molten balls of lead, hit the fort's magazine, which contains all of their gunpowder. Fuck. Which is a great shot if you're trying to blow things up. So that was their first shot, surprising the crap out of everybody with an incredibly huge explosion. Can we please just imagine Jackson is at the border, like there's like an imagine, like the imaginary lines drawn, and he just has he doesn't even need like uh anything to watch it. He just sees it and goes, ah, oh, very nice, and applauds, golf claps a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I just imagine him in a lawn chair sipping iced tea, watching this place go up and. Let's not lie, it's not iced tea. He's not drinking iced tea. 
He's drinking the blood of the innocent. Fine. <laughs> Why are we the same person tonight? Because I was just going to say that. Because <laughs> we're both on <coughs> medication and we're both sick. And it's your fault. <laughs> it's not my fault. All right. I am several hundred miles so from you. So in a lawn chair drinking the blood of innocent children, enjoying this massive explosion, as one does. So the magazine blows up. 270 people are instantly killed, and another 61 are wounded. The battle is essentially over. That place is haunted. That place is definitely haunted. Absolutely. You can't... There's not enough sage in the world to sage that out. (laughs) (laughs) Could you just imagine you just bring, like, basically a cannon-sized thing of sage, take it there, and even then the ghosts are still like, fuck no! sage that place was to make them angrier. They'd be like, no. No. Put that away. So, Andrew, I'm assuming Jackson just comes in with his skull cup, drinking drinking the blood of the innocents or his enemies. Either one. Depends on the day. Depends on the vintage. Sometimes it's both. Like a rosé? <laughs> just mix the two. First of all, not how they make rosé. Second of all, incredibly disturbing in its accuracy. I imagine that Andrew Jackson would have a particular problem with mixing blood. So. <laughs> Valid. It's a good point. Blood of the innocents a morning. Blood of your enemies is an evening. Blood. Do you really not get what he was going for there? Or we just... No, I did. I did. I'm just making it a time schedule thing, you know? It's further... One's an aperitif and the other is a digestif. I think we broke her. A long time ago. So he blows up the fort. And he takes out his big long parchment list of problems and crosses that one off. That's not what I thought you were going to say. Probably that too. Let's be real. We don't need to we don't need to explore <laughs> that kind of speculation. Any sources on that, please? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't want the sources. I need you two to compose yourself. Just keep talking yeah. over it. It's, <laughs> it's fine. It's not going to happen. Okay. So, that problem gone, there was still the problem of the Seminole Indians, uh, part of the larger Creek Confederation. The Seminoles uh, were less a single nation as opposed to a collection of other disenfranchised tribes whom the Americans had lumped together for the purposes of negotiations. Um, Largely, though, they all spoke the same language, which is why uh, it became easy to identify them as Seminoles. So, these Seminole Native Americans were pretty pissed. for a bunch of reasons, but mostly because they were not given the land that was promised to them in the Treaty of Ghent that ended the War of 1812. Basically, uh, there was a treaty signed when the Americans and the British ended the War of 1812, and a part of that treaty said that certain lands would be given to Native American tribes in the American Southeast, and the United States just never really got around of g- to giving it back. You know... Seeing a pattern so here. hard. This would become, yeah, a very consistent pattern. So, being in Florida, they harbored a bunch of other Creek Indians who fled across the border from Georgia and from the American Southeast, trying to escape retributions from Americans for either crimes or uh, abuses. And the Florida, you know, the Spanish government in Florida and the Native American tribes there refused to extradite the people that had committed those crimes. So, once again, Jackson is pissed. New reason, but he's still pissed. 
Yeah, he's not having any of this. He's pretty upset. These guys are not being brought to justice. They're escaping his wrath. So he takes General Gaines, the guy that he sent into Florida already without the oversight of the American government, and sends him into Florida again, where he attacks uh, one of the main Seminole chiefs, takes the town, and burns it to the ground. So... Having burned down the village of one of the large chiefs of the Seminole Indians, the Seminoles now are also pissed and start ramping up attacks on Americans and American military establishments as well as Americans uh, on the borders in Georgia. So now Jackson writes home uh, and writes to the government in Washington, D.C. that they're being attacked. And of course, now they have to declare war and invade Florida. It's a well-known tactic. Even though he's already, you know, sent troops and started conflicts in Florida that led to his desire to invade the he is poking the giant orange tree that is florida (laughs) the oranges are now throwing themselves at jackson so jackson basically gets the go-ahead from washington uh to invade but they word it to make it sound like it's not really an invasion order so they basically say like if under such circumstances it becomes necessary for you to make small incursions upon the territory to the south of georgia then one could Assume that it's possible that you could do so. Eighteen thing, hypothetically. Right. Get real. Burn it to the ground. Allegedly. (laughs) We can neither confirm nor deny (laughs) the use of force. Exactly. So the problem is that at the exact same time that this is going on, Andrew Jackson does something incredibly silly. Always. So. There is a military topographer working with his army. A topographer is basically someone that maps land and uh, maps elevation and takes the lay of the land, which is very useful for armies that are trying to understand territory better. So the War Department of the United States writes a letter to this person and says, hey, we're going to have you leave your station at Jackson's army and head to a northern division. They did not ask Andrew Jackson's permission to do this. So, Andrew Jackson is now not only pissed at the Indians, he is pissed at the American government. In fact, he's so pissed that someone went over his head that he makes a sweeping order forbidding anyone in his army from obeying any order from the American government that didn't come directly through him. Solid tantrum right there. Solid. This scares the ever-loving piss out of everybody, because it looks like he's taking control of the army away from the government and making himself a general king, so that's not cool. I think it's cool. With anybody. You know, it's very cool. You know, he he would just ride around, he probably wouldn't actually have a crowd, it would just be like two dueling pistols that rested on top of his head. Defying the laws of gravity and just staying there out of sheer fear of the man that they sit atop. Yeah. Yeah. I see where you're going with that. And if he gets really pissed off, they send warning shots to, like, clear the fuck out. <laughs> like, he doesn't even notice that they're going off. He's just so angry. No. Yeah. He can't hear gunshots. I just assume at this point that's just how he goes to sleep. He has to have <laughs> someone start shooting guns. Cannon. All right. Let's go. Right. And the cannon. Oh, Andrew Jackson's going to bed. We have- uh, Not yep. what I meant, but okay. <laughs> I was talking about the other kind of cannon, but all right. Yeah, see, he knows. I know what you're talking about. I just choose not to go with it. All right, thank you. Good teamwork. For once, (laughs) having some class. 
So Andrew Jackson is throwing a big hissy fit, telling everyone in his army that nobody can obey any orders that don't come directly through him. If anybody obeys orders from the state uh, department of war, then they are insubordinate and he'll have them charged with crimes. So this scares everybody real bad. And there's talk about charging Jackson with insubordination because that's what that is when you defy the government with your military. Who's going to bring so, him in, though? That's the question. Who would have the balls enough to go and bring Jackson in for insubordination? Oh, but that's the problem, because nobody wants to go do it. Because on top of being incredibly terrifying, Andrew Jackson is also super popular. Everybody loves Andrew Jackson, the hero of New Orleans, the great fighter, defender of Americans. So he was too popular to lose. So, the President of the United States, James Monroe, ends up writing a bunch of letters desperately trying to mollify Andrew Jackson and pull him down from his hissy fit about a guy being told to go to a different unit. Like, for forever. We'll send you more blood of the innocents if you just calm the fuck down. Right, so the President of the United States is writing letters basically saying, Hey, we're super sorry we upset you. You know, we understand that you are you try really hard, and we don't want to make you mad. So, you know, like, let's all be cool. We're buddies. We're best friends, right? And, like, this is what I had. This guy has basically committed what amounts to treason. But he's so popular and so powerful with the largest military force in the American Southeast that they can't afford to piss him off. You know, a little problem. As they start wrapping that issue up, basically, Jackson also kind of gets permission a little bit to go into Florida, maybe from the government. He got his dream. He got his dream. So, basically, he is now allowed for the sole purpose of fighting Seminole Indians that have attacked across the border into the United States. Only for that purpose, he can pursue them across the border and fight them in Florida if they try to run away. What Jackson decides is that, hey, while I'm here... I might as well just fight the Spanish, kick them out of their land, and take it as my own. As one does. You know, it's your ch- check-off list. Get the Seminole Indian. Oh, there's some Spanish here. Get them too. Oh, look, I have Florida. Essentially, yes. He just says, yeah, we're in the neighborhood. We might as well take everybody. So he starts doing this, and while he's doing it, writes a letter to the president saying, hey, just so you know, I'm going to take Florida away from the Spanish. Um, you don't really need to be bothered about it, and I know that it'll look bad if we say this, so why don't we just pretend this conversation never happened? In a letter. Right, Right, in a letter. In writing. So, amazingly, James Monroe, who actually really does want to take Florida, as well as John C. Calhoun, the Secretary of War, and everybody else in the government, suddenly inexplicably forgets to do their jobs for a few minutes. Weird. Everybody look busy. (laughs) That is basically what happened. Yes. So Andrew Jackson marches into Florida with no official oversight and starts fighting everybody. His dream. That is his dream is to just fight everyone. He's fighting Native Americans. He's fighting the Spanish. Always the entire time claiming that it's a defensive war against an Indian invasion. 
So what he does is he'll march up to a Spanish-held city or fort and say, We need to take this fort away so you don't help the Indians. And the Spanish say, That's a ridiculous line of reasoning. And then Jackson starts firing cannons well, at them. sort of like the scene at the beginning of Monty Python where they're like shouting down from the turret because that's how I'm imagining it. I mean, kinda, except the guys on the ground are the ones with the cannons. Okay, well, yeah, that's fair. And they're not throwing, like, cows at them? <laughs> no, they're throwing boiling hot lead. It's worse. Yeah. It's a lot worse. Yeah. Right. So they march into a city, say, We need to take this town because we suspect you're helping Indians. And the Spanish say, But we're not. And then they take the town anyways. So the Spanish that were in that town retreat to the next town. And then Andrew Jackson marches to that town and says, We need to take this town because we suspect you're harboring Indians. And they say, We're still not. We're the same guys. And so he takes that town anyways. And basically, you wash, rinse, and repeat this uh, many times with a bunch of crazy battles and tons of military endeavors. A lot of people die. And Andrew Jackson rides an alligator. I'm assuming this ends up happening. He's not riding a horse. He's just riding an alligator all around Florida. I mean, if anyone could tame an alligator, it would probably be him. That should be Florida's national like, image is Andrew Jackson on an alligator. <laughs> Glossing over that. <laughs> right. So after a period of time of him doing this and uh, defeating many Seminole Indian tribe invasions, defeating uh, several Spanish outposts, he writes a letter home that basically says to James Monroe, president of the United States, hey, um, we have Florida now and I hope you're not upset about it. I'm assuming it started with, funny story, you're gonna laugh. We were here and, you know, one thing led to another. I got you a really nice gift, though. It's the state of Florida. In the middle, it just literally says yada, 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 where he leaves out all right. the innocent people that he slaughtered and then drank their blood, assuming. Right. He also wrote a letter home to the Secretary of War, John C. Calhoun, uh, after defeating the Spanish government in battle and taking the, all of their cities away from Spanish troops and basically wrote back, We beat the Indians! <laughs> Much less subdued in tone, I'm assuming. <laughs> just like to one guy he's like it's no big deal <laughs> kind of got you a state you're welcome and the other one he's like fuck yeah man so to review the list of crimes that he's committed at this point insubordination invasion of a foreign country instigation of wars without approval of uh congress or any oversight from the president of the united states and uh in response he is later made governor of the territory of florida who else would you want to lead that place, though? Someone competent, maybe? He was, I don't know. He was very influential. Oh, Jackson was competent. Let's let's be clear about that. He knew what he was doing. He was very good at what he did. And what he did was lead armies and take and rule territory. He probably could deal with the problem of the Florida man. <laughs> there is all one man. Just any Florida man. I feel very confident saying that Andrew Jackson could deal with any one Florida man. All of the Florida men? Call it even on. <laughs> so that was, now that he's taken Florida, Andrew Jackson, a period of time passes, and uh, Andrew Jackson has risen around... Uh, Andrew Jackson has done very well. Andrew Jackson has risen in the ranks of American politics a lot, and... Uh, by 1824, he's been nominated for president. 
He is a war hero from the War of 1812 and the Battle of New Orleans. He has become a lauded fighter and commander from many Indian wars, including the Seminole Wars. He was the regional governor of Florida after its capture. He was a state representative for the state of Tennessee. He was basically an all-around badass and was garnering the largest popular following that had been seen in the history of the United States up to this point. Do you think it was... More than Washington? Ooh, uh, I think it was a different kind of popularity. I think the general understanding of the greatness of Washington was still probably greater. But as far as living figures who garnered a popular desire to bring him to power, I think that Andrew Jackson could very well rival Washington's popularity. Because Washington's... uh, rise to political power was largely garnered by the political elites that were running the government at the time. He was a logical choice uh, for them, but Andrew Jackson didn't come from that position. He came from a position of a relative disunity with the American government. He was not as much backed by politicians uh, because a lot of them were scared of him. But the, po- the the common man of the Americans of the Americas uh, was in favor of Andrew Jackson. So it was a different kind of popularity. I mean, I'm scared of Andrew Jackson, and he's dead. Is he though? It it seems right. Is he though? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like if anyone could beat death with his own cane, Andrew Jackson, hundred percent odds there. He's now just death. Like death is using the um, invisibility cloak to hide from Jackson. Absolutely. I would. So, Andrew Jackson's great popularity was also coming at a time in the United States when more and more people were receiving the right to vote for the first time. Originally, the right to vote was largely reserved for white males that were in the possession of a fair amount of land. So you had to own a specific amount of land in order to vote. Uh, More laws were being passed that allowed people with less land or eventually even no land to vote. So now even more white uh, male Americans could vote. So it was a, a slow step in the right direction. But what the re- happened was this meant that there was now going to be the first populist election in American history. And what happens? Andrew Jackson wins the popular vote. More people vote for Jackson than, every- than anyone else in this election of 1824. But he does not have a clear majority he has a plurality, which means that there are other people that also have a large amount of them. He doesn't win more than 50%. This means that the election needs to be settled in the House of Representatives. And the representatives in the House of Representatives vote for John Quincy Adams, son of former President John Adams, the most northern, stuffy, educated elite of them all. Jackson, the representative of the common man, is furious that he didn't get elected president. He starts calling the election a corrupt bargain of the Washington elites, and him and his followers lead a rampage across American politics for the next four years, making life miserable for John Quincy Adams during his entire presidency. By the time the election of 1828 rolls around, Jackson is ready, and his massive grassroots following has been waiting to kick John Quincy Adams out of the election and elect him. So, this campaign, the campaign of 1828, is one of the most brutal, mean-spirited election campaigns in all of American history. 
In particular, Andrew Jackson's wife, Rachel, is dragged through the mud. She is called a whore, an adulteress, all sorts of just god-awful names because she was married to Jackson while she was still technically waiting for a divorce uh, divorce from her horrid, abusive ex-husband several years earlier. This didn't make a lick of difference to the opposing party to Jackson, who made a point of making her out be just a harlot. It Awful. Did how many jewels he in defend her honor? Oh man, I can only like imagine. Yeah, is, probably. Is Kane got a lot of work being people to death? I mean, it's entirely possible. So, in some ways, his defense of Rachel makes him a slightly more sympathetic character because he was, in many ways, very uh, chivalrous to the women in his life, particularly the women that he had close personal relationships with. Uh, In other ways, his massacring of several thousand people makes him less sympathetic. But, all that said, in November of 1828... The results come in, and Andrew Jackson, after waiting so long, is finally elected president. The most popular president elected to date. So what do we do now? We party. Over 20,000 people flood Washington, D.C. to celebrate the inauguration, some traveling from more than 500 miles away during a time where there were no established roads through much of the country. Do you think they sang the song, And I would walk 500 miles, and I would walk 500 more just to see? Okay. I was just going to wait and see how long you'd go with that. But also, given that it was put out in the 1980s in Scotland, I think that the likelihood that they sang that song verbatim is probably Um, I'm going to go with yes, because I'm assuming the doctor came to visit. (laughs) Doctor Who. No, no, Mike did not get it. I got it. I'm going to assume it's the David Tennant doctor as well. Because he's a huge fan of the disclaimers. Yeah. All right. You know what? I'll take it. Yeah. Okay. So then, yes, they did. Yeah. So now, in November of 1828, Washington, a city of genteel politicians, are shocked and horrified by the surly crowd of 20,000 just regular everyday Joes rushing in under the mob rule of the rough and plain-spoken Andrew Jackson for his inauguration. How many strands of pearls do you think were broken by ladies just clutching oh, man. at the as, as the pores rushed? How many street? how many chains of pearls were like that many? Can we just imagine the poor people going up and picking up all the pearls though afterwards? <laughs> right, right. Like thank you. Oh, just wait, ladies. Just wait. Oh God. So Andrew Jackson is now sixty-one years old, and he is president of the United States of America. And he gives his inaugural speech to a surging crowd of people who, at the end, go so crazy with joy and are overwhelmed by this riotous spirit that they snap the cables that held the people back from the platform that Andrew Jackson was giving his speech on. Jackson had to be ushered by his security forces to his horse so that he could ride through the crowd to avoid being trampled by his loving, overzealous followers. So he is greater than the Beatles. We're going with that. I mean, it was a heck of a day. I just feel bad for anyone who has to be security for Andrew Jackson. I mean, what could you do for him that he cannot do for himself? It's like being a bodyguard for Jason Momoa. Like, why? They're all shorter than him anyway, so. I know. Why? What is your job? You just follow him around? 
Make sure he doesn't murder the assassins. <laughs> it's really more security for like the other people then. Yeah, for this, him. it was security in the sense that a cage keeps the lion away from you. <laughs> So Andrew Jackson rides through this crowd who begin following him as he rides back to the White House. Now, traditionally, the White House is an open house on inaugural day. Basically, it's a time for people to come in, see the president, congratulate him on his victory, you know, hobnob, because they were expecting just Washington elites to be there. That's what it was always, that's the way it was. Washington is a city built by politicians for politicians. On a swamp. on a swamp that they drained in the middle of Virginia. Which is so fitting. So, as Andrew leads this giant mob of people back to the White House, he finds that another crowd already beat him there, flooding (laughs) the entire place with people. The staff had prepared lavish party food, there were sophisticated drinks and punch and wine set out, and these people were running hog all over it, going absolutely bananas. Andrew Jackson's prized, award-winning, 500-pound wheel of cheese was being destroyed by a mob of peasants attacking it with knives. I mean, how else do you, like, eat that size cheese? Oh, if a man, this cheese. Andrew Jackson was a notable cheese collector. The crown jewel collection was this massive imported cheese, literally the size of a sedan. I want to become a cheese collector now. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, oh, it's a thing. I want to find cheese the size of a sedan. In a parking spot, <laughs> one would assume. I think the dog or would a freezer. Tr- I think the dog would try to eat it though. She really loves cheese. <laughs> I knew I liked her. <laughs> Just see, like, giant shepherd-sized bites out of... Oh, my gosh. She would never poop. She would never poop. She would never finish it. That thing is huge. It's, like, three times her size. Oh. She's a bit of a glutton. Again, knew I liked her. All right. So, Andrew Jackson, leading this crowd from his speech, collides with the crowd at the house and absolute Anarchy breaks out. People are running roughshod through the newly built White House. Furniture is over... Oh my god, they threw them out of windows. Furniture is overturned and tossed around. Drunken crowds begin taking stuff from the White House. (laughs) Silverware and plates start disappearing. I think a few paintings went missing. There's actually a story of people throwing a grand piano out of an upper story window of the house. It is going crazy. What is the point of throwing, like, stealing the piano? If you're just gonna throw it out the window and let it shatter. It's a riot. This is riot logic. Okay, fair enough. Think of Philly after they won the Super Bowl and Ashley's giving me laser eyes. We're not gonna talk about it. The fact that they- I'm not over it. The fact that they climbed greased poles (laughs) to, like- The fact that they knew to grease the poles to begin with. I just love- Could you imagine just going- About that story. Going to work that day and they're like, okay, we gotta (laughs) grease the poles because people might riot. And the White House staff didn't even get that forewarning. Nope. So, having lived near University of Dayton, yes, I can imagine having to go to work that day <laughs> and having to grease the light poles because they have a yearly riot every year, sometimes twice a year. We make the basketball thing, whatever that's called. The March of the Madness. Oh. Yeah. Uh, uh, Miami never riots. 
Maybe there's a reason for that. That's all I'm going to say. I've been to our football games. Yeah. It's not riot worthy. The rioting at the White House is so great that Andrew Jackson has to flee his own party, leave the White House, and run away to avoid being trampled in the aftermath. He can only make his way back into the White House after his staff realizes that they can set out literal troughs of whiskey on the White House lawn to draw the crowd outside with the promise of more liquor, at which point the president manages to sneak back into the house and start trying to shut the doors the most florida sentence i think i've ever heard right there give an a plus some extra to whoever realized that right like, hey wait if we just put everything outside we can get them out spitball in here but uh whiskey trough on the front i'm lawn. assuming they had to reinforce the doors once they closed them though i mean you had a lot of loose timber around for destroyed furniture to work with and paintings <laughs> yeah So once the riot had been quelled and the people had been forced back outside, Andrew was able to make it back into the White House and formally, a few months later, begin his presidency. Now, despite the life of violence and action and hard living that he had had, uh, he actually died at the age of 78 peacefully in 1845 in his own home, the Hermitage where he was eventually buried next to his long-lost wife, Rachel. When asked if he had any regrets, he said yes, and he thought about it for a long time, then said, I should have hung Henry Clay and shot John C. Calhoun. Fair. In a life life riddled with murder, his only regret was that he hadn't killed quite enough people. Specific people, you know. In specific ways, too. That sounds about right. Thank you, Mike, for our lovely, engaging Andrew Jackson's, I'm going to say, well-lived life? I'm going to go with well-lived. I think he would probably agree with you. Yeah, and I don't want to upset his ghost because that's not what I want. No one wants that. Oh, you know he's a vengeful ghost, too. Oh, yeah. He probably is. So now to Podcast Corner. We're going to have the promo from Two Girls, One Ghost, a.k.a. the podcast that I keep listening to when I'm in the woods and regretting it. (laughs) It's a good time. It's just don't listen to it while you're walking the woods. It's not the best idea, but great podcast. Um, Corinne and Sabrina pick a fun theme and tell ghost stories around it. There's one for Hollywood. They did Black Eyed Kids, which we all know because Ashley yelled at me for listening to that while I was in the woods. All those fun things. So, here's that promo. (laughs) Hey guys, this is Corinne and Sabrina. We are the hosts of Two Two Girls, Girls, One Ghost. Ghost. We are here to tell you spooky, scary, spine-chilling ghost stories. Listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you you on the other side. side. And now that we're back, um, Mike, do you have anything you need to promote since last time our audio got cut off so no one knows? Uh, currently at the moment, I'm working on a six-part miniseries on the history of the Wright brothers. Uh, that doesn't have a set release date yet, but I will be sure to let you guys know when it does and we can begin talking with each other about it. Oh, yeah. it's. I know at least two, one or 
two people that are working on it with you, and I'm excited about it. I don't know them, but I know about the white about the Wright brothers, and I'm excited for that too. Thank you for listening to The Cult of Domesticity. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Chorus, Spotify, YouTube, and Podbean. If we're not on your preferred app, again, I don't understand to this, but let us know when we get on that. Um, as always, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever listening apparatus you use or share with friends, family. Don't waterboard your family to listening into us, as Ashley told me I have to say. I don't know. Yeah, Geneva Convention is a thing. You can't just not, no, torture's not cool. Fine. Don't torture people with our podcast, but maybe if you're stuck in a car for six hours, just put it on. <laughs> Slide it in the rotation, so that's all we ask. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Domestic Podcast and at The Cult of Domesticity on Instagram to episode tip off recipe and additional information about the week's topics. You can also find our podcast merch on Threadless by searching for The Cult of Domesticity. And if you're feeling particularly generous, we've set up a tip jar on PayPal. Uh, finally, to suggest a recipe or topic, you can email us at domesticpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Mike, again for coming back on. This has been super fun. Thank you, guys. This has been a great time. And high fives all around. Yay.